The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome back to the Unfiltered podcast. On this show, we interview mental health professionals about abusive, toxic and healthy relationships. It is our hope that these interviews help you cultivate safe relationships. No, I can't. And we're not apologizing. Not no, I'm sorry. Because we're not sorry. We don't need to be sorry for protecting our time. And that is a very difficult thing to to start doing because we are afraid of the repercussions and the backlash that are going to come from saying no. Because they don't like they don't like boundaries. Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Aiken. I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Heather Kent. She is a registered psychotherapist with a background in trauma assessment and clinical treatment. She is the two-time best-selling author of the books Heal from Your Narcissist Ex and I Left My Toxic Relationship, Now What? Much of her professional practice is focused on helping clients through the process of recovering from unresolved trauma and PTSD. Do you feel like you have to do everything quote-unquote right to stay safe in your relationship? Are you uncomfortable prioritizing your own well-being over your abusers? Do you want to know the most common signs that you are being isolated by an abusive person? Do you want to learn more about the dynamics of healthy relationships? Do you want to know how you can stop feeling guilty for standing up for yourself? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then this episode is for you, because Heather Kent will be discussing these topics in our show today. Hi Heather, thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. That's great to hear. Let's get started with the questions. And the question number one is, I have been gaslighted for as long as I can remember. I have convinced myself that if I just do everything right, that things will be okay, even though they never are. How can I stop this madness? I don't understand how I can know that I'm tricking myself, but still can't stop myself from doing it. So... It's This is kind of a bit of a two-part question, so I'm just going to address the first part first. So, like, how do I stop the madness? It's a really good question and what a great way to to describe it because it is what it feels like when you're in it, absolutely. Um, and so it, I guess it depends on what's happening. So if it sounds like whoever asked this question is still in the situation and still involved with the person who is gaslighting. And so that makes it really difficult because, um, the important thing to really, really understand with some radical acceptance work is that it's not about what you do, right? It's not about what you do at all, because no matter what you do, it will never be enough and it will never be what the gaslighting person is looking for. The reason you're being gaslit is because the person in the situation is not capable of taking any kind of accountability or any kind of responsibility for their actions. And so instead what they are doing is turning it around and trying to 
blame you for their behavior. And so at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if your mother Teresa doing everything right, they will still gaslight you. And so what, what you really need to understand is that it isn't about what you do or don't do. It's about the other person being completely incapable of taking any kind of responsibility or accountability for their actions or their behavior. And it really isn't about what you're doing right or what you're doing, what you're not doing right, because that's very, very subjective, right? And they are always going to find something. They're going to find some excuse to latch onto to turn it around and blame you for what happened, even though you've done nothing to contribute to the situation. They will come up with reasons and excuses as to why what you did forced them to behave however they behaved that was not acceptable. And so how to stop the madness is to stop trying to please them. Stop trying to anticipate and mitigate their emotions because it doesn't matter what you do, it isn't about you. It's about them and not being able to be responsible for themselves. Thank you. Makes sense. And this is such a difficult situation to be in and probably hard to take that, like your answer to that, like actually implement it if you are still in this abusive and manipulative environment, like as soon as if you do, uh, when you do get out, and you get some distance, you probably like, you will start to see things more clearly, but while That's you right. are, yeah. It's extremely difficult to see through it when you're in it. And so again, like I would always recommend distancing, exiting, putting boundaries in, limiting contact, going no contact if possible, because you cannot heal from this cycle if you are constantly being exposed to it. And so basically every time it happens, we are getting re-traumatized all over again. And so that is, you know, remove yourself from the gaslighting scenario, number one, if it's at all possible. And then number two, understand that everything that they blame you for is completely untrue. Yeah, yeah. The number two, that's so important. and But it's so hard sometimes because they will make sure to kind of, uh, when they say, for example, when they do blame you, they do try to find some evidence to kind of back up their claim, even though in the situation, I mean, even though after, you know, uh, getting the distance, you might be like, well, the way they blamed me, it doesn't actually make sense or it's like completely false, or it's like there is something just, you know, completely wrong about it, that they twist mm -hmm. the situation in a way that, you know, it's it's completely out of like reality, but it's so hard in that situation while you are in it and they do give their quote proof that this mm -hmm. is why you are in the wrong. It's it's hard to separate, like. It really is, mm -hmm. which is why that distance and, and um, getting away from, the situation is so important because um, you can't see clearly when you're constantly in a gaslighting situation. It's very, very difficult. 
to, yeah. to the other thing that I might suggest is to take notes all the time on things that happen, things that the person has said, because it helps you to keep track of what's real and what, and then what they're fabricating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Then the question number two. I don't feel comfortable putting myself first. I don't know why, but I catch myself telling myself that my wants aren't as important as my abuser's wants. Can you give me some simple steps I can follow to fix this way of thinking? This is so, so common, um, especially in the early stages of recovery from abusive relationships. We all kind of, and I certainly felt this way too, it was very uncomfortable to acknowledge that my needs mattered and that my needs were valid and that they warranted attention, right? Um, and so, and, I, and it's not just um, survivors of abuse who struggle with this. I also, I see this a lot in um, mothers and parents in general, prioritizing your own wellness and prioritizing your own needs is not selfish, it is necessary. Because, and the same as like, you know, anyone in the helping profession, you know, physicians, dentists, therapists, massage therapists, physiotherapists, anyone who does work with other people, we have to make sure that we are taking care of our needs first before we can show up to serve others. And so sometimes we have a hard time doing it for ourselves. And so if you have someone in your life that you're responsible for, like a child or an animal or a parent or a friend, someone, if you have someone else in your life that you're responsible for, you might be able to find a way to prioritize taking care of yourself and putting your needs first so that you can show up as your best self for them. So, so sometimes in the beginning, it's really hard to do it for ourselves, but we might be able to reconcile it enough to find a way to do it so that we can be our best for someone else, even if we're not yet able to be our best just for ourselves. And so, you know, we can't give from an empty tank, right? And so if there's nothing left in the tank, the car is not going to go anywhere, right? If we don't take it in for regular maintenance, if we don't take oil, do go take it for oil changes or, you know, put the winter tires on and all of these things, change the fan belts and update the fluids, the car is not going to work, right? The car is going to break down and it's not going to function the way it's supposed to. And we and our mental health is very similar to, you know, the maintenance of a car. We have to have regular appointments, regular upkeep, regular attention given in order for things to run well and to run smoothly. And so in order for us to be able to be of service to others, if this is how we want to frame it, it is necessary that we take care of our own needs first. Because if we don't, we are not able to show up as our best selves in all of those other roles that we play in our lives, whether it be a parent or a coworker or a boss or a teacher, you know, or a colleague, whatever it is, or a partner or, you know, a, a child, we can't show up in our, in those roles as our best selves if we are not first putting our needs, you know, at the top of the priorities list. And so one thing that I would recommend is working on um, some mindful self-compassion. And if you go on Amazon, you can get, 
get a workbook that's called the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. And it is something that you can work through on your own. Um, although I would always recommend that you constantly you know, work with a therapist through this as well, because it is difficult to challenge those negative beliefs that we have come to internalize about ourselves and about how our needs are not as important, etc. And so I would definitely recommend doing some therapy work with uh, the focus on, you know, developing self-compassion, kindness towards ourselves that we would give to others without thinking. Thank you. And uh, then what about if you are still in the abusive environment? And we all know that a uh, abusive and narcissistic people are really good at kind of just taking all the time like they are really good at making sure that you are actually you know prioritizing their well-being like you don't might you don't you might not even have like time after mm -hmm. catering to the needs of the narcissist and then you have like okay now i i'm so tired after all this long day of you know just i don't know preparing meals cleaning just driving them to their appointments or you know mm -hmm. whatever it is how someone if they are still in this environment how do they find the strength kind of just they have to forcefully take that time. And yes, just, and so this yeah. is a boundaries issue. And the easiest, let me rephrase that, it is not easy. The simplest way to create boundaries is to learn how to say one very small word that has two letters. I bet you can guess what it is. <laughs> and it is the word no. No, I don't have time. No, I can't do that right now. No, I'm not available. No, I'll have to do that later. Mm. No, I can't. And we're not apologizing. Not no, I'm sorry. Because we're not sorry. We don't need to be sorry for protecting our time. And I find that especially as women, um, they have our greater difficulty not apologizing for their existence, right? <laughs> and so um, as, you know our society has dictated that we should over centuries. And so we don't apologize for saying no. Tell me when is the last time you remember a man apologizing for saying no? Hard question. <laughs> and for any of the men who are listening, this is just a generalization. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly saying no is a, is a right that every human being on the planet has, and it is not one that we need to apologize for. And, your narcissist in your life definitely won't like it, but that's not your problem. Mm -hmm. And so we really need to learn how to say, no, I can't. No, I'm not available. No, it'll have to wait. Yeah. And that is a very difficult thing to, to start doing because we are afraid of the, you know, repercussions in the backlash that are going to come from saying no because they don't like they don't like boundaries right and so again it comes back to exiting the situation if at all possible because you are never going to be able to maintain the boundaries when you are in an ongoing abusive situation so how do we create distance how do we remove ourselves as much as we can and how do we put those boundaries in place Thank you. 
Um, then the question number three. I read that isolation is one of the earliest signs of abuse and that it's extremely difficult to detect. Can you please share the most common signs of isolation that we should be on the lookout for? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so isolation can be very subtle and very insidious, absolutely. Um, so isolation will start very gradually and it will kind of be step-by-step step kind of over time. So what they might do, for example, would be to say something about, let's say your friends or your colleagues, they don't like them they they find that they're rude they find that they uh, are disrespectful towards you they will all usually say like oh, i really don't like that friend they're they're so disrespectful of you i really don't like that friend they're so rude to me i really don't like that i don't like how you are when you're around that friend that friend is a really bad influence on you and so they'll say things like that they'll also try to say things about your family about how your family is abusive, your family is manipulative, your family is um, coming between you and the relationship. And so what they will do is they will point out all of the fictional, and I will say fictional, <laughs> um, you know, flaws um, of the various members of your support network and why you should distance yourself from them. And what they're doing is um, ensuring that you don't have any outside influences who can point out what they're doing to you. And so this is a very gradual, under the guise of your, you know, looking out for you, under the guise of protecting you from their harm, you know, the friends and the family members, under the guise of, you know, helping to open your eyes to what they're really doing. All of that is to prevent outside influence of other people being able to like observe the abuse and the behavior. So if you're isolated and don't have access to your friends or to your family members and you don't feel like you're able to talk about what's going on, then they have freedom to treat you however they want and go unchecked. And so that is how they slowly kind of start with the isolation process. Mm -mm. Yeah. Oh, that, that's so like, uh, unfortunately common. And then mm -hmm. if you are, especially when you mentioned like it starts gradually. And so if it starts in the beginning stages of the relationship, you might be love bombed at the same time or at you just, you just have like, you might be like very, I don't know, in love with this person yeah, and you, and you want to be saying may seem reasonable initially, mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, I, I never noticed that or, or oh, I, I never picked up on that. But, but since they're kind of new, you know, they can see things that I can't. So maybe that is what's happening, like, you know, so <laughs> you, 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 you can really, it really does seem believable what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think maybe it is a nice thought that like, oh, they just, want to take care of me and you know you want to believe that that someone is just looking out for you mm -hmm. yeah okay um and and then maybe one one more thing uh i don't know when this does when does this normally uh come into play but 
what I have heard often is that when if you do try to then keep you know contact with these family members, friends, uh, and then you go out to see them, and then when you come back, there is silent treatment. There is oh yeah, you know. absolutely <laughs> a massive abusive treatment. Um, and again, that's a huge red flag, right? Someone is trying to control who you are allowed to spend time with. And in no scenario is that healthy. And so you really have to look at, okay, if I, if I'm in a, in a relationship with someone who is trying to, um, decide how I spend my time and with whom I'm allowed to interact, that's, that's a huge problem, right? No one should ever be attempting to cut you off from your family or your friends or your colleagues or your yoga class or whatever it is. Um, and so if they are trying to do that, this is a huge, huge red flag that this is abusive and that it's time to exit the situation. Mm, yes. Uh, then the next question. How hard do people work for each other in healthy relationships? My wife has convinced me that I'm not working hard enough, but I have tried my hardest to be perfect for her for years. Mm -hmm. I feel like I feel like she's just gaslighting me into believing that I'm not good enough for her. Absolutely, and this happens all. This is this is the mo of a of a narcissistic relationship. Um, and my current partner, his ex wife, was exactly the same. Um, he was never enough. He was always the problem. He was he was the narcissist. He was the abusive one. He was the one who was treating him treating her so poorly. He was controlling her life. You know how dare he force her to get help for her eating disorder when she was pregnant? How dare he do these things? And so yes, no matter what you do, again back to similar to the first question, this is all gaslighting, and so they will never be able to be content with what it is you do or don't do because quite frankly it isn't about you you could be like i said mother Teresa. you could be prince william you could be the king of england it doesn't matter you could be the most perfect human being you could be you know jesus and healing people in the streets from their diseases but it wouldn't matter because they will always find something to latch on to to blame you for their unhappiness Right. And so at the root of it all is their own secret, internal self-loathing, self-hatred and insecurity. That is at the root of all of the abusive behavior and the things that they do and they say to you, the things that they accuse you of. Those are all things that they internally believe about themselves. And so everything that she's saying to you all of the ways in which you are not good enough are actually the th the reasons why she believes she's not good enough, mm. but she would never admit that to herself or to anyone else. So this is the secret inner self-loathing and that um, vulnerable insecurity that drives this very aggressive, abusive, gaslighting behavior. And so how hard do people work for each other in healthy relationships? One person does not work harder than the other is a simple answer. So if you find that you are doing all of the work and it's still not enough, 
we need to be asking ourselves the question, what is my wife doing to improve herself? What is my wife doing to improve our relationship? How is my wife contributing to making our lives better and happier? And I think we all know the answer to that. And so, you know, this is a really important question. And I definitely would not recommend that you go to couples therapy, which is what you might think could be helpful. Uh, because quite often what happens is that she will drag you there and shame you to the therapist. And if the therapist is not trained on this type of abusive behavior, personality disordered behavior, and, you know, power dynamics in, in abusive relationships, then the therapist may also get on board and shame you as well, or like kind of take your wife's side. And so going to couples therapy is very, very risky if you do not have a couples therapist who can see through what's happening. Because what they will do is they will show up and present themselves as the martyr, talk about all the ways in which she, you know, tries to deal with your shortcomings, you know, quote unquote shortcomings, and you know, how, how difficult it's been for her, how patient she is, and you know, how unhappy she is and how she can't continue to live with you because of all the things that you do wrong. This is not helpful. So I definitely would not recommend couples therapy. Um, you absolutely are working harder than she has ever worked in your relationship would be my guess. And if you can sit down and answer the question, um, you know, my wife has done X, Y, Z to help improve herself and help improve our relationship then you might be dealing with with some back and forth. But it sounds like you are the only person working. And no matter what you do, she's the puppeteer and you have to dance and it will never be enough. And that is not a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Like I actually, I remember one story was that, you know, this classic situation where it, uh, a couple did try to go to couple therapy and the other one was narcissistic mm -hmm. and they ended up changing the therapist like I don't know six times just because this narcissistic person had a problem with it yep. yeah <laughs> that's exactly right so if the therapist doesn't get on board then the therapist is crap the therapist doesn't know what they're talking about the therapist is a hack they don't like the therapist it's not useful I'm not going to therapy again we have to switch we have to switch Right? Because all they want is someone to validate their, you know, accusations. That's all they're looking for. Mm. And then a, sh a quick follow-up question about, like, how... When, when you guys do graduate from schools, how, how much is narcissism talked in there? Or, like, I'm talking oh, about... Oh, in terms yeah. of, like, psychology programs and that kind of thing? So, personality disorders are not, like, specifically studied per se, but it's more the therapy modalities that are used in specific situations. So, like, these types of therapies are really helpful for, you know, a borderline personality or a bipolar personality. Um, these types of, you know, whatever. And so we do, you do kind of learn about personality disorders, but it's it's not, like, specifically heavily studied or focused upon at all. Um, and so it really does become uh, the therapist's prerogative to do further research and become more, you know, expert in those fields. And so like personality disorders specialty is sort of like similar to medicine, like 
a family doctor or general practitioner won't have specific knowledge on the ins and the outs of pancreatic cancer, right? Um, a family practitioner will not have specific knowledge on, you know, the ins and the outs of hearing loss or glaucoma or, you know, diabetes, or, you know, they'll have maintenance and general information, but they're not specialists, right? And so you want to go see the specialists who can help you with your kidney function, who can help you with your eyes, who can help you with your, right? And so you want to, so therapy is very similar in that way in that you want to seek out specialists with the issues that you are struggling with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thank you for that answer because I just wanted to bring this up that people understand that if the, you know, let's say that, well, first of all, you shouldn't agree and to go to the couples therapy in the first place because it's probably not going to work. But if they do, then like, uh, like, for example, if you do notice that the therapist is on board and then at the same time, they are kind of this, you know, a therapist who is not specialized in narcissism or domestic violence situations and the power dynamics yeah. that just please don't gaslight yourself into believing that okay well if the therapist even is saying this then it must be that i'm it's in the wrong so incredibly invalidating and it's yeah reinforcing all of those negative beliefs and so yeah it can be extremely harmful yeah um then the next question uh, I'm having a hard time defending my reality because my father always victimizes himself and makes me feel guilty for using my voice. Do you have any advice that will help me stop feeling so guilty for standing up for myself? So again, it goes back to that um, self-compassion work and that self-compassion piece. Um, ab abusive personalities always love to play victim. Um, and you know have the violins playing for them in the background right and so uh, this is classic kind of cookie cutter behavior on abusive on abusive parents uh particularly and so yeah he's always going to play that victim card he's always going to um twist things around and manipulate the situation into um, making you feel like it's your fault and that, you know, you are causing him suffering or causing him pain or, you know, whatever it is that he's saying or accusing you of. Um, and the reason why he's trying to make you feel guilty is because he cannot be held accountable for his actions. And so he victimizes himself so that he doesn't have to take responsibility. And that's what they all do. They're all victims. They're all victims of circumstance. Life just happens to them and their reactions and behaviors and words are completely not their fault. You know, um, it's because the sun rose and the wind blew in a certain direction that caused them to do this, that, and the other. This is always going to be his line. Um, and so understanding that your father is always going to be that way is really important and so there's again that radical acceptance piece of like i can't do anything to change how he's gonna you know react or be in, in any given situation so i need to accept that that is his kind of mo and not personalize it because if he treats you this way I'm also guessing he treats your other siblings that way or his spouse that way or any situation in where he would maybe have to take accountability rather than saying, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. He's going to victimize himself and, you know, 
play the guilt card. You have absolutely nothing to feel guilty for to for using your voice and being assertive. This is extremely important. And again, learning how to let go of that guilt and shame is going to take time. So certainly I would recommend working with a therapist on that specific goal. And again, that self-compassion workbook that I mentioned earlier um, would be a really great resource for you. Um, because honestly, again, your voice matters. You do not have to apologize for having one, and you do not have to apologize for saying no to abusive behavior. Thank you so much. Today we had some great questions and great answers, and I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode, and thank you, Heather, so much for coming to this episode and answering all these questions. Oh, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be here, and uh, I hope that this is helpful for people who are listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.